Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. say so much more demanding but you, you know i'm doing seth green's house and that is one of the most i like to create home and what makes it your home and he and his wife they have such clear ideas of what it is that they when i first interviewed they right. both in unison were saying we want this 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 and this and i love that give me i tell my clients give me a wish list I bet I can make more of it come true than you think, even the stuff you think is crazy. I mean, you know, I, I've i done fireman's poles that go down to the second floor. Don't tell the building department. It's Around the House. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B, where we talk home improvement every weekend. I'm Eric G, and Caroline's got a piece of pizza because we just all went out and got pizza. But we got to introduce our friend, our guest today, David Applebaum, architect of the stars. Hello, brother. Hi there, you too. It's Caroline B and Eric G and David who doesn't rhyme. So there we go. <laughs> David A. <laughs> David A. <laughs> so we got we got to we got to talk a little bit a minute. We got to give some pizza credit here because you know last segment we last hour we were talking pizza is kind of the side discussion and we all got our pizzas here. And as you can tell, Caroline's working on hers as we talk. <laughs> you made me so hungry, I had to pop one in myself. You're awesome to play along. Eric is under the delusion that Oregon, according to Bloomberg, makes the best pizza. Now, David knows the Northeast. He knows New York. Come on. You really telling me that New York, New Jersey doesn't make the best pizza? Well, they make the best Taylor ham. (laughs) The thing is, is New York has their style pizza. Chicago has their style pizza. When you get out to the West Coast out here, we have the best of everyone's pizzas. That's my take. That's my take. David. Oh, yes. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got pizza from 1947, people. DiLorenzo's. We know how to make pizza in New Jersey. You make a pie. It's a tomato pie. You got your cheese on the bottom, the sauce on the top, thin crust. I'm sorry, boys. Well, the cheese is on the bottom because <laughs> if, if, if the pizza is made in 1949, it's green, so you have to put the sauce on the top so you don't see how it's That's how it's crunching. It's been sitting in a box since 1949. So, yeah, that's the I hate that's you all. <laughs> They're such poor losers, like, denied. <laughs> I don't know. It looks like we won the award. Some of your projects and stuff that's going on. Because, like, for instance, this last week, I've been listening on different podcasts and stuff. 
And it was kind of fascinating because I'm a Quentin Tarantino fan. You know, I love his Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and he's coming out with the book that he wrote. But I wanted to talk to you about kind of architecture in L.A. as a great example in the in the metro area there about so many different things. You know, I love the different designs. You know, you can get there's really cool mid-century homes. There's cool classic stuff. There's stuff every style you can think of. But I want to talk to you a little bit about kind of what how things used to be maybe in the 60s as far as design and 70s and including the clients and how it's different now. Wow, that's a multifaceted question that uh, Mm -hmm. I think I want to maybe start off by saying, let's not talk about those crazy, awful flippers that have totally watered down. (laughs) I mean, uh, forget the fact that they're not well designed. They're just not often well built. I did a house in Bel Air that Beyonce and Jay-Z bought the flipped home next door for, I Mm -hmm. think it was 70 something million dollars and everything leaks and everything's cracking. And I don't know how they're enjoying it because it's a money pit because they had a flipper who went in there and made it look nice on the outside. You know, what what is it called? The lipstick on a pig? You got it. Mm. So, and that's um, going on but, here in the Northeast too. And they've made the prices of houses go up, and it's made it difficult for an architect like me because it takes at least a year to get a building permit now. If you're on any kind of an unusual or hilly or whatever it is site, uh, fire zone, whatever it is, there's always something that you have to hop through and. These flippers use the same floor plan over and over again. So they just go to the city and say, you've passed it 37 times before. It's nothing's changed. Here's 38. So they're able to get a building built pretty quickly while I'm not. And there's a lot of people that are now starting to say, I don't care if it's built like doo-doo. Can I say that on the air? Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, I I can move right in. And I've had business managers say the permit process is so complicated. I'd rather my client buy a move in ready house than have them deal with an architect. Now, the good news is what I've actually I've actually got a letter of recommendation from Cuba Gooding Jr.'s business manager that said, "Okay, I'm writing a letter of recommendation about David Applebaum. I have to tell you as a business manager, I will always recommend that my clients buy a move-in ready house. But if any of them are interested in going through what it takes to get a building permit and get it built and all the drama, there's nobody I would recommend or want to work with other than David Applebaum because he was on top of everything. So, you know, I mean, it's that's what you end up trying to sell is I can give you something that's going to be watched and you'll buy it at wholesale instead of retail and you'll get your perfect house and you'll know how it's built. That's kind of the theme about a lot of this show is, do you know what's behind the facade? You know, for Carol and I have worked together before on mold and air issues and water issues. And, you know, people don't think about that, but they're getting sick. And Eric, you know, remember that house not too far from you that they cut half of the truss out and all it would take was one oh, snow yeah. load and that roof will co- collapse. If you don't know that. <laughs> we were just talking about that in the previous segment about how that guy put the videos back up again. Oh no! yeah. He's so they're, back. 
No! What an idiot! <laughs> oh my! I mean, you would uh, maybe he should do it after he's sold the house, and it's yeah. Oh, uh, that. Oh. Uh, I, I won't give you the advice that I would give him, so that he'd have no liability once it falls apart. Because I've seen how it's done. But uh, oh yeah, the, you couldn't uh, put somebody. I, I would hate to be the the inspector that got up on that roof because the chance of that <gasps> roof coming down and pushing the walls out was probably pretty high. I wouldn't have gone on that roof. Yeah, but you know, you know. How's the inspector going to know what they did? You know, I, I, I they're just not going to know a, until they take the ride. I've got a. Uh, I've just bought a house that's got an open ramp style ceiling that I know is built right. Yeah, but but if yeah. but but it it, it 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 looks in some ways similar to what this guy had, but mine is right. Yeah, to, to, and for people that didn't catch that show that I had talked about earlier, these guys came in and were house flippers, took a engineered truss system, and went through and cut all of the structure out of it and added a single 2 by 4 to try to strengthen it back up. So they had the full span being held by this non-engineered... They tried to build a 2 by 4 scissor truss, literally... To span the entire width of the house out of four two by fours. Well, and there's they, absolutely no way that was going to hold up to anything. They had a truss, which of course has the two angled pieces at the top, and then most importantly, yep. there's something running horizontally from bottom end to bottom end within a horse a, a vertical uh, strut in between it with engineered steel or connections at all of those points, and. You know, if you don't have that middle vertical and the bottom horizontal, your walls, the roof will want to put its weight down, which will pull the push the walls out and the entire thing will collapse. So, yeah, it's anyway, you know, it's so important. I think that one of your earlier shows, um, Caroline asked you you being Eric, of course, um, how do you know when to call it an engineer? How do you know when to, the answer to that regretfully nowadays is always, Yeah, always. You cannot take mm-hmm. anything for granted. I, I have a friend who bought a flipped house on the hillside here. It needed $400,000 for the foundation work because it's sliding down the hill, but they put lipsticks on, on the pig. She had no idea. She didn't yep. know what to ask. She's been in it for a year and a half, and she's got about a half a million dollars worth of repairs. That's a lot of money. You know that house that I worked on um, in Maryland, we had to bring an engineer from an air perspective that you had recommend, California Energy Designs. So you're not only looking at engineers for structure, but now you're looking at engineers for mechanical and air quality, right? HVAC. Because we had such problems with this house. It was 12,000 square feet, had six zones, and we brought in... California, um, Gabriel. In a um, a human area where you're going to have a lot of, you know, trapped air. Well, I just, I bought the house. What what did we, we talked about it. I did a water test, you know. Yep. I I don't really, make sure. I have to say I'm, I'm on the beach. So there was no need to have an air test. Oh, poor yes, baby. you're on, on the, the beach. beach. But I, oh, but, poor baby, but I, Santa Monica. <laughs> Pacific Palisades. Uh, but, you know, I, I went underneath, <laughs> you know. I wanted to make sure that it was dry, that there was, you know, I... I oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> David lives on the uh, Okay, bye everybody. Nice talking to you. <laughs> um, but but you know, I wanted to make sure that there was enough. I'm a, I'm very big on when I do a house. There's a minimum amount of attic circulation and um, uh, um, crawl space circulation. You know, it's I think one inch of uh, a ventilated area for every square foot that you have underneath. Well, I, yeah. I, I go at least 25%, if not 50% over it. I, I had a roofer once who, who we were talking about. I added not just the normal events and all that, but I, I really think it's, it's, it's so important to have circulation in your attic. It, it does so much good for you. And, and I, the bottom is just as important, but uh, he was saying that he likes well, and the to windows. Well, yeah. Windows Google, too. Remember yeah. we talked about yeah. putting in 25% windows in a room. I mean, you're talking some of the houses from like 1970s on, you're talking about you had 6% windows in a room. Right. So you're losing light. That daylight helps decrease bacteria, all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. David really puts a big, what's, you're about 25% or 30% windows in a room. Uh, if I can, uh, it depends on yeah. a lot. I'm actually, the house that I'm buying, I'm, I'm adding um, operable skylights because I want, mm-hmm. yep. I want more fresh air to come in. Velux Skylights has a really cool system now where with their smart skylights that you can go in there and install the skylight and it'll it'll measure CO2 in the room. And when get that gets high, it'll automatically take a look at what's going on outside. If it's raining, of course, it's not going to do it. But it's going to look outside and go, oh, we need to get some of this. We yeah. need to get some fresh air. And it'll kick those skylights open to help vent some of that out. And that to me is, is brilliant. Yeah. How that you works. Know, hot air rises. And so if you, that alone will take so much stress off of the air conditioning. I, I've been known to put in both dehumidifiers and humidifiers because here in California, sometimes it's very dry and you need a humidification. I mean, look, I, I am so, I am so blessed. I live in an area where, I can crack the windows open every single night and it cools the house off and it puts fresh air in as long as, you know, I mean, I'm not near a parking garage, so it's, it's not bad. And, you know, and then I've got air cleaners. I've got, you know, I've got my HEPA filters and a couple of rooms and the big units. And it's almost, it's, it's so funny because like, it's amazing how many of the women that I date end up with a HEPA air filter or two in their house or apartment by the time we break up. I see. Nice. I see a sales gig here for you, man. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> April Arrow, yeah, well, like you. <laughs> well, you want to be yeah, the Just don't expect the relationship to last. I'm getting them. Uh, <laughs> 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 They've got see, oh, okay. and, Yeah, but 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 uh, April Arrow affiliate program with David Applebaum. Yes. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> so um, yeah. So it, it's and it's amazing because everybody's got. We're kind of going back to what you were saying before. Everybody's got different priorities i mean uh yeah you know uh you were asking about uh clients and their needs and their wants and um it's so funny because you know i i did work for frank sinatra and i did work for bob hope and i you know these were guys that would just say you're the pro let me go sing or tell jokes or make a movie this is what i want show me something good you show them they say they really quickly yes, good, or no, I don't like that. And then you build it and they say, thank you. The clients now are so much more knowledgeable and 
I don't want to say so much more demanding, but you, you know, I'm doing Seth Green's house and that is one of the most, I like to create home and what makes it mm-hmm. your home. And he and his wife, they have such clear ideas of what it is that they, when I first interviewed, they right. both in unison were saying, we want this, 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 and this. And I love that. Give me, I tell my clients, give me a wish list. I bet I can make more of it come true than you think. Even the stuff you think is crazy. I mean, you know, I, I've done fireman's poles that go down for the second floor. Don't tell the building department. Um, <laughs> uh, you cool. know, I've done secret rooms. I've done niches. I've done, um, uh, uh, I've, awesome. oh, boy, I've done some weird panic rooms. Um, you know, I did an Indiana Jones rope bridge. I did, you know, awesome Hobbit huts, things like that. They're just, when you have a client that wants something like that and it's for a reason, oh, it is such a joy to do something that, you know, has never been done before. I mean, we were talking before about, and that that's just the house. Then sometimes they want it done for their dog house. Look at Paris Hilton. Paris yeah. Hilton, her $275,000 for her dog house. I mean, and that that's was pretty, that was $90, you know? Yeah, now true. Especially, especially with wood, the price that it is right now, that might be a half a million dollar doghouse. Pet palace. And then all of a sudden you got Elon Musk in a $50,000 um, <laughs> home right now out in Texas now that he's living in, which is one of those prefabs. Yeah. I, that, well, that's just, that that's so long. Elon. I mean, you know, Elon lived in one of <laughs> yeah. my houses. So, you know, I mean, he, he went from, you know, 15,000 square foot house that I designed to that. It just goes to show you, you know, everybody's different. He's got all the money in the world. That's not what he wants. He just wants a place to crash yeah. and do his work. And yep. you don't want to get in the way of that. Look, when 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 Frank got a little bit older, um, before we were able to put an elevator in the house, I redid the kitchen and a couple of other rooms down below to give him a bedroom downstairs so he didn't have to navigate the stairs. So tell that story real quick about the house that you built before Elon had it. Uh, I know we talked about that, uh, you know, last year, but you know, let's get people up to speed on that house because that was kind of fascinating. That's not a a typical Bel Air home. No. Um, You know, that's what led to me meeting, not meeting. That was my reconnection several times with Gene Wilder, which is one of the greatest things, adventures that happened in my life. But uh, that was a house that the client, it was, terrible soil you couldn't it was unbuildable that one that one at least deservedly took a year to get a permit because we had to come up with a bunch of different options to see what the city would approve to how we could stabilize the dirt but in the end the bottom line is this is a guy who wanted to be the ambassador to the court of saint james so the united states has ambassadorships to every single country guam Panama. And it's you that's the go between between the government of Bolivia and the government of United of the United States. It's where citizens from the United States can find a haven in in France or Germany. There is one non governmental ambassadorship, and that is to the Queen of England or the royal family. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And he wanted to be the ambassador to the court of St. James, which is the the ambassador to the royal family. It is the most cushy ambassadorship there is. <laughs> I would love that. Would yeah. it be? So, so besides being able to, on this very steep slope, have a way to get a big stretch limousine up there and turned around and all that, it had um, a powder room that was locked and it was only to be used by the queen. Only her bum was allowed to touch the toilet. And we had <laughs> one bespoke toilet st- sealed and, and, and there. And then we had ordered five. So we had four in the garage that were completely hermetically sealed. So that if anybody else's butt touched that, they, you know, they could replace it. Um, and it also had a guard station. So, um, wow. Yeah. How, how often do you have a, uh, <laughs> a powder room that nobody uses with a guard. Yeah. 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 But, and then you joke and say, where, where should I put the turret? Mr. Nichols, who never got the ambassadorship. He then sold it to Elon and Elon lived there for a while. And uh, along with a bunch of other houses, he owned Gene Wilder's house across the street and a bunch of others like that. And I get it. I get it. Um, and I think he probably made a lot of money off of all of that, but that doesn't matter. He, yeah. You know, I hope he enjoyed it. And I, you know, though it's kind of disheartening to a certain extent that he went from this house that I had designed to a manufactured home. It's like, ah, <laughs> yeah. I have enough of this. It's a fad. You guys don't see this as a fad. I mean, I don't think he's going to end up living there forever. I mean, I, I really think, no, it's, I think it's kind of a fad. I think but, he's going through that time and I, I, I don't know him at all. But, you know, it's I think it's people go through those times in life that they're Kind of resetting and and reevaluating mm-hmm. what their what their values are and what what what's important to them. Let, let's you not know? forget and maybe real he, estate's not what he's you know into. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's a lot of work and it's a lot. This way he's just renting and but let's not also forget that he is going to go to the moon and then he's going to go to Mars and he's going to have probably a, an orbiting space station and stations there. And that's kind of exactly. modular living as well. And right. I kind of get that he is trying to tweak his own attitude about living in. Yeah. Or maybe acclimate, acclimate there to that. Is. If that's what he's yeah. going to actually do, he's going to have to acclimate and maybe that's his way of doing it for sure. What do you think about COVID and that a lot of clients have had the time to sit around and think about, what they want to do with their homes, right? I mean, people have become so knowledgeable now. Like, so when I deal with a client, they know more than I do. I find that hard to believe. Architect. Yeah, I'm going to disagree there too. I'm well, also, I'm also going I mean, to say, lot, right? I, I, I think it's great that they get educated, but it's kind of like you don't want to diagnose yourself on WebMD. You want to go <laughs> to somebody Fair who point. knows what they're doing. Um, but, but they do know a lot of products. Oh, yes. I mean, look, I'm, most of my clients now will even say, I want this. And it's something very specific, whether it be a shower system, mm-hmm. you know, that's got clean water or whether it's uh, an air conditioning system or just a, a pretty tile. But they come in much more knowledgeable now than they did before, which I love because then we can have intelligent conversations about everything. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. Look, I, I have always felt that home is vital. A really great home life 
is part of what yes. can make you happy in life. If your family is supported and has a roof over its head, that's not just a roof, but an environment where family is important and home is um, nurtured. It, it, so the point is, uh, I love when somebody has that same kind of feeling about their home. And COVID has certainly expanded that the importance of home is so mm-hmm. uh, the meaning of home. It's and not safety, just how it looks. right? Safety. Yeah. And yeah. safety. I mean, it's, the New York people moving out to New Jersey or wherever you're moving out to yeah. from Philadelphia. I mean, we're seeing yeah. it, right? They, they, they care about their family life. They want to have right. a safe haven for everybody. Right. I think it's going to change. Yeah. I mean, we already see it. They're getting tired of driving two hours back to Manhattan, back yeah. to Los Angeles. You saw it in LA. Oh, it's I, it's I would, dying I, out real fast. People are getting sick of it. You know, when the, when COVID was going on, they said, oh, well, I'll be able to work home half the time anyway, so it doesn't matter if it's an hour-long commute instead of 20 minutes. Now they're finding they have to go to work every single day, and that hour-long commute mm-hmm. they thought they had is more like an hour and 20 minutes. That's three hours out of your day. That's that's. Tough. I used to do that in Seattle when I lived in uh, Gig Harbor, and I worked at this ultra-high-end cabinet showroom where we sold William O's Downsview, all these ultra high end luxury brands and uh, Val Kachin cabinetry, all these different brands. And I would drive 20 minutes to the ferry. I would take the hour ferry ride across Puget sound. And then I walked 13 blocks to my office and that was my daily commute back and forth. God. And, it was cool. Uh, there'd be times that I knew I wasn't going to meet the ferry because I got hung up with the client. So I'd uh, I'd go hit a, a little tavern on the way home and sit there in downtown Seattle and stop at the at the tavern and have a beer waiting, you know, waiting not for the ferry just a, next one, waiting for the next ferry. And uh, the ironic part of that, Henry Hill was my bartender at that place. And uh, if you want to get into gangster lore, that is the guy that Goodfellas was written about. Wow. So did you have to wear a tie when you Oh, that was suit and tie. Absolutely. That was suit and tie (gasps) 24-7. Caroline B., can you even picture this dude with a tie? Yeah. No. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's, like, uncomfortable. Suit and tie. Um, But we had some great clients that came in there, you know. It it was fun. We had the, you know, some of the higher-end clients, and then – one day, one week, we shut down because Angelina Jolie was filming across the street, mm. and which nice. was cool because I got to hang with Angelina Jolie all week with in her Billy Bob Thornton days. So, ah. how know, was she? Was she nice? Was. was she nice to you? Super nice. She was adorable, sweetheart. So mm-hmm. she was great. She was great. That was that was probably the one of the funnest times at work that I've had in a long, long time was just because the road was closed. Clients couldn't come in. I already had my, my people were doing the drawings and I was standing out there talking to Angelina Jolie on the sidewalk. So it <laughs> Jeez, was no not, a, it was not a horrible place to be. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. I, now, I see now you're reminding me of all. So I'm moving to a whole new neighborhood. Who's going to fix my car. Who's going to be my doctor. Yep. Who's going to be my dentist. I mean, everything is going to change. And yep. Uh, but you know, because that's poor David lives at the beach. Poor oh, girl. Yes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, 
<laughs> right? Hey, I gotta have some reason for y'all to come visit. You're gonna have Julie's more guests already, than you can imagine. Julie's already planning the trip. <laughs> yep. Let's talk about moving to the ocean. Oh, it's so sad. I don't know. Oh, uh, come on. I'm an old <laughs> guy. I've paid my dues. I went it's through. It's not a- like you're moving to Palm Springs. <laughs> <laughs> you and Suzanne. Well, it's so funny. I was saying, oh my goodness, it's tw- there's a 20 degree difference between the 93 in in Sherman Oaks and the 73 in Pacific Palisades. And one, right. And one of my friends in Palm Springs called me and said, "Yeah, yeah, I'm 113." <laughs> but Eric's got them all yep. beat. Eric was 118. <laughs> like he's like. Oh. Yeah, we were 118. I just no cannot believe it no got thanks. that hot in the Pacific. I never imagined the Pacific Northwest would get over 100. They said now, that was our, all global our, warming, too. I read the article. They said that there was no way without You know, here's what happened. And I'll be honest. Here's what happened. It was a weird... I've got some friends here that are meteorologists at the TV station that are super experts on this. Hmm. And what happened was, is we had this really... You guys were getting hit with a storm down there. And you guys were getting hit with weather and it pushed all of the desert heat from like Death Valley up kind of northeast. And then we had a low pressure come into the Pacific Northwest and it sucked all that desert heat up through Oregon and into us. And so it, when the air comes down over the mountains, it compresses it. Mm-hmm. And when it did, it raised us an extra 10 degrees. Was it, and so was it, it wasn't so much of, yeah. Cause it was yeah, we were, desert. we yeah. started out with humid. It was it, the low came in humid. And then as it got hot, we were only like 17% humidity. Yeah. Thank that, God. Those are like our you know. Santa Ana winds where instead of the coastal yeah. breezes coming in, we have the same thing with highs and lows set up in a place where it just plants and pushes the desert air towards us. And so we end up with like 70 mile per hour winds, 5% humidity and heat. Yep. And that that's where our fires so, come from. Yeah. We basically got your Santa Ana's, but we didn't, it didn't come in as a wind. It was a low, it wasn't windy here. The wind was high, but it was coming in over the mountains and then it compressed down. And when it compressed down in the low, that's how we got those two days of that. So it's almost like putting a magnifying glass over your area. And exactly. the sun just they called beats. it a heat dome is what they called it. Yeah, they said <laughs> it was a, a heat dome and they said it hadn't happened here in in over a hundred years. And so it was just a freak, you know, just a freak deal. And thank God Eric had just put in so, a new carrier system. Yeah. So he was we like, thought. thank God it's HVAC. Yeah. yeah, that was awesome. And you that didn't use awesome. a lot of energy on it too. That's the best part. You weren't no. draining from the grid and you were not spending a fortune. Yeah, I was using less energy than if I would have had my two window air conditioners cranking. So, I mean, it was that was the good part. That was did, the good did part. Did you only so. air condition a part of your house and not the rest of it? Because it's just the two of you. Or did you air condition the whole house? Well, I mean, it's only the house is only 1,500 square feet. Oh. So, it's not like it's that big. Oh, it looks so much bigger. So, uh, vaulted ceilings and everything, bedroom, all the bedrooms have vaulted ceilings. You know, everything is tall in there. You also. Except for the kitchen, dining room area has a lower ceiling but you have the windows properly located and you have outdoor rooms that make it feel like your property is part of the house exactly. so your house yeah, the feels like it's about three or four thousand square feet that's 
So that that pool, lots of glass with lots of green. Yeah, the, yep, the pool absolutely. that you saw that I did in Beverly Hills, I wanted so badly mm-hmm. to put a ten by twelve travertine square in the middle of the grass that had a fire pit in the middle and and chairs all around it because the interior of the house is travertine, and then the pool deck that comes yep. out of it is travertine. The wall opposite oh. the pool in the house is white plaster. Then you have the pool that mm-hmm. also has the brown bottom, so it looks like the travertine. Then the travertine statuary is the best way to put it in the grass. And then the white plaster wall that I put in in the perimeter would then make that house feel like it goes from the plaster wall through the house, through the pool area, yeah, nice. through the grass, mm-hmm. and then to the, so it's the optical illusion that the that that room is now you know. 150 feet longer than you than it should be. It's Love that inf- infinity look, really. Yeah, and this is you know, why, that infinity look where this just goes. And this is why you hire an architect over, for instance, just getting a flipped house or just doing what's there because we know little tricks like that that for very little money will make your house feel so much bigger. I mean, Eric, you didn't even necessarily consciously think about what it was that you were doing, or maybe you did, but by doing what you did, you were taking what was, you know, uh, what'd you say, 1,400 square foot house? Yeah. And mm-hmm. making it feel like it's a 3,000 square foot house. And you have all that acreage. And so y- you still have all of these things all over that expand the curiosity. The eye and the brain is going off at the distance. And if you do little tricks like materials or color or Mm -hmm. sound or, you know, light, uh, you know, even if all you have is a little, little gazebo, but it's made out of some of the same colors and materials of the house, it then tends, even if you just see a little bit of it, you know, I mean, I I did a um, hilltop house and, you know, we were pretty tight with where it was flat and then the backyard had a retaining wall and then then it sloped and then it was flat and then it retaining wall and it sloped. So by lighting certain areas of that up above, so you could see it at night, you felt yep. like all of that was a part of your living experience and it just made the house feel bigger. And if you're just a well, great you know, example. A, yeah. If you're a draftsman, like you my house, for instance, yeah, my house, I built, you know, a shed out there for storage. Well, I built it to mimic the same angle of the roof, but I did something different because this house built in 77 has cedar T-111 siding around it. I took my T-111 that I put on that and I went horizontal with it instead of vertical. Oh, very good. So you got the same to material. To give it just a little feel. Same color. Just going the other direction. But it's got a unique Same color. And actually because it's your house, your eye goes up because it's vertical. Yep. Yes, your eye will go side to side, which will tend to make you then look at the landscape and look at the house. That's a very subtle yet ingenious. Genius. Yeah, kind of. I, I'm i going to steal that one from you one of these days, Eric. I like that one. <laughs> Feel free. Yeah. I mean, that's it's I don't know. That was my little trick. I'm like, no, I'm going to go this way with it. I'm going to use a little more material, but it's going to be different. And it's going to make you look out into the space and not just look up because that naturally was going to make it look right up to the roof. Oh, it would stop your eye. 
If it was vertical, it would stop your eye. Yeah. That was I, that it, that I mean it. That was an ingenious little trick that you did. I love that. I also love the scale of your outdoor room. That little outdoor kitchen and bar kind of thing. Yeah, it's mm. perfect. It's if, if it was Thank bigger, you. it would overpower the house. If it was smaller, it wouldn't expand the house as much. Stay in as the you house. Did. Yep. But it's it's yeah. you you well, really thanks. you you got that just right. That's hard to do. That house with the pool, rock star. The pool was supposed star. to be running north south, and it and that was going yeah. to then tie that experience to that far wall because it was supposed to run from the house towards that back wall. But when I went to City Hall and they told me my setbacks, they told me my setback on that property line was only 10 feet and everything else was 25 feet. So I ran it that way. I designed it. I submitted it. They said, you can't put it here. Your setback's 25 feet. I said, well, one, I can't have three 25-foot setbacks. That's against the law. One of these has to be a 15-foot setback. And said, okay, it's the, it was the other one. Now I had to get this pool that my client wanted to be 45 feet long so he could run the laps he liked to run in a place that it shouldn't fit. So to get that yeah. just right was so hard. And the clients were like, why isn't it done? Why isn't it done? Because it's not right. Now that it's done, yeah. you know, it's like, I'll never hear, gee, I'm glad you did that. You know, they'll, <laughs> they'll still say, gee, it took yeah. so long. But the thing is, they'll love it and all their friends are going to be jealous and that's i'm sorry that's really that's it that's yeah that's <laughs> yeah how do you see or is there going to be a change in how we design homes post pandemic versus pre pandemic i wish i knew the answer to that i i on one hand you kind of get that people are going to put in things to make their house safer in something like this, I'm also, but I'm going to go as far as I'm going to quote Caroline B. We were talking about this a, a year ago. Um, and okay. her comment to me was COVID is bad, but there, it could have been worse. And we're going to have a pandemic mm -hmm. that's going to be much more deadly than this. And this was our chance to have a dress rehearsal, how to mobilize, yes, how to, um, quarantine yourself. Emergency preparedness, how, it, right. Preventive. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And we've basically blown it. And we've spent all of our time arguing with each other. And therefore, yeah. there will be some people that will be more health conscious. But I think that as a whole, we haven't learned our lesson, regretfully. And I think I, uh, you know, we're still talking about it, not as much as before, but still talking about it. I think in another two years, and this will be ancient history and we'll be talking about something else. So you don't think that the great room design has gone away, right? You still think that that's no. going to be the, the big main great room is still going to be that prevailing dream for many people, even though that they need to have three or four places for kids to do zoom meetings during that time. Yeah. I, I, How about offices, David, like work from home? Um, I, <sighs> You know, months ago, like a, 10 months ago, a year ago, that's all everybody was talking about was finding ways to make their garage, their bedroom, their their uh, walk-in closet into a private office. Um, you know, I, I think kind of 
piggybacking on what Eric had said before, uh, and 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 what actually maybe it was what Caroline said. You know, everybody's realizing that that commute is way too long again, and I think they're going to end up moving closer to town and going back into smaller spaces, and kind of nodding to well, we can always use the walk-in closet. We learned how to do that, and and it won't really work. And when when push comes to shove, and this look. God willing, this kind of thing will never happen again in our lifetimes and we don't have to worry about it. But we always, so what are we learning from this? It's interesting because you were talking about emergency preparedness before, you know, I bought my first house right after the Northridge earthquake in Northridge with damage. And that took a long time to get back to normal, but we came back better. Um, And at that point, everybody's starting to talk about where to put emergency provisions, where to do this, where to do that. Nobody talks about it anymore. Yeah. Nobody. I, I just saw my son and I saw a water bottle in his garage. I said, you do have some bottles in your car, don't you? He said, no. I said, we're an earthquake country. You need to have at least a couple of hours worth of, you know, sturdy shoes, a roll of toilet paper, bottles of water and a couple of cans with the pop-up lid of some kind of stable food. So that way you are okay, just in case, you know, here in Los Angeles, maybe the worst citywide problem was almost every freeway overpass needed to be torn down because it was damaged and replaced. We were without freeways for a year. If you're stuck, you're stuck. So always have gas. I mean, I could go and you already went into it. So yeah. I mean, I was in the, uh, when we had the the earthquake up in Seattle, I was mid-span on the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Oh, that's my biggest fear. For a 6.9. Oh and we've oh. all seen, Mm-mm. we've all seen that. I mean, the bridge was doing the wave. I mean, it was going up oh. four or five feet oh of this. And I was literally jumping mm. my car and was watching the RPMs peg as my front wheels were off the ground as I was trying to quickly get off the bridge. Oh, I mean, we know that they're built to withstand quite a bit, but that whenever I'm on a bridge, I hold my breath and I go as fast as I can to get off of that bridge when I'm in the Western United States. But David, you probably saw that in school of that bridge, how they had misdesigned the original one and it fell into the, into the, to the sound because that was the Gallup and Gertie bridge, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that's so it the, was we, that. We've seen it at least twice in in your architectural school career. You see it at least twice. It's the most famous bridge that there is. Yeah, so that's where I was in that six point nine, and I, to me, what well, the scariest part was driving back across it because I wanted to get home. I knew that they were going to shut the bridge down for inspections. Yeah, but I had just gotten off, and I spun around and flipped a Yui, got off the bridge, and went, "Okay, I know what this is," and I turned around and and went and went back, but I was eyeballing the cables in the road to make sure that everything looked taut and right. and that it was but safe to cross back across again. The good thing is, you know, one or two cables can snap and it's still going to survive. So Correct. Yeah. I but still don't want to be up there with that. No. <laughs> yeah, and, no. and that, that bridge was shut down for 48 hours, if I remember right, for, for inspections. And you were smart enough to know. Look, I, I don't like office buildings. I don't like tall office buildings architecturally i don't like office buildings because i'm all about human interaction 
And a high rise is nothing but an elevator, a men's and a woman's bathroom, and a bunch of cubicles where you shove as many people in as possible. It might have a pretty exterior, but that's it, there's nothing human about it. So that's my I've that's always been my main problem. But you know, high rises blow in the wind. They have Scary. to have certain amount of give. If you're in an earthquake in one of those, you know, in New when, York, we when, when I'm doing a, a house, it's almost always made out of wood, and wood is great in an earthquake because it can splinter, it can twist, it can split. You might even have a couple of the studs or the rafters snap, but it still holds. Once yeah. steel gets dimpled, I mean, what happens when you stand you stand on an empty soda can? It's good. You put your finger on both sides and just barely touch it. It just immediately crumbles. So I'm, I'm not a big fan of steel in uh, earthquake country. Me either. Um, but even, even so in New York, like when I worked there for years, David, you know, I used to have to take elevators up to like the 82nd floor and it would just, I, I hated it. And then I always floors. thought when I was in the elevator, if you, if something happens here, it's a disaster, right? And then we saw it with 9-11. I mean, it was just, and I always had this feeling like, you know, this is just not a safe place. And listen, we have a fault line that runs through New York as well. I mean, the possibility of having an earthquake there is, is prevalent. It's not like we can't. So it just scares me to think like how those buildings would really hold up if yeah. they had something. I was about to make a political joke and put some fault in some politician in New York, but I'll, <laughs> no, let's we're not talk about building. Let's yeah. talk about building. So, so David, you and I were talking this last week. Let's talk about building for a minute. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but you've had some experience building on sand and stuff in Florida. What is your experience building in, in that uh, type of situation where you've got, you know, you know, 200 feet of sand or, or sandstone yeah. beneath you? What's your yeah. experience on building a strong building on that that doesn't settle and cause damage? Well, when we do something on in Malibu or Santa Monica and it's in its beachside, uh, there's there's no bedrock. You just it just doesn't work. So we use something called friction piles, which are basically a bunch of deep concrete piles that are tethered together. So the friction that they cause against each other really spreads itself out over the sand and it 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 stands on its own i don't think you could put a very tall building on something like that but for a residential two or three stories it's it's not a problem um it's uh, what can i say it's it's about as good as you can do because there mm -hmm. you were mentioning before that when when you build near the sand where you are there is bedrock. It may be 40, 60, 100 feet down, but there's there's yeah. absolutely no bedrock here. So, um, uh, so it's you know you want nice, big, wide, fat footings that won't okay. sink. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, the best way to talk about that is you know we, we talk about in architecture school the the high heel conundrum. Mm which is yeah. you can have a teeny little 100-pound woman, okay? But if she's in little itty-bitty heels that are a quarter inch by a quarter inch, that is a, you know, that's 1 64th of a square inch. So 100 pounds per 1 64th, that's a lot of weight. So no um, you'll get a lot of punctures in something soft if, if, you, if you're not, if you, if you have that kind of situation. Well, 
the friction piles do the opposite of this. I kind of wearing clogs. So, you know, if you're, if you're walking in gravel or sand and you've got high heel shoes, I mean, get, I, I, I'm so sorry, Eric, I don't want to talk about your wardrobe, but if you have high heel shoes, you're going to sink in the sand. But if you've got clogs or flip-flops or something like that, you're fine. So you're basically creating, trying to create something that, that fits that. That's the simplest way to describe it. I will tell the ones, the, the two times I've had to wear high heels. Oh, and it was I had no yeah, idea. Well, t- yeah, see, I'll tell that story. So when I was living in Tacoma, Washington, where they had a, a for the national, uh, for their builders organization there, they had a domestic violence campaign called Walk a Mile in Her Shoes. And all of us guys would go down and buy women's shoes and we would <laughs> wear women's shoes and walk downtown for a mile. And that was our... Our um, our sponsored walk, and it was walk a mile in her shoes. So yes, twice I have had awesome. to wear women's shoes to do that. Well, that uh, love it. And you did a mile, and yeah, that probably was very uncomfortable. Just imagine what it would have been like to spend all day in high heel shoes. Yeah. No thanks. No thanks. Women I would have been much more Come sensible on, flats. Our, our hats are <laughs> off on, to you, women. You put up with so much stuff that you shouldn't have to put up with for us guys, like wearing high heels. And shoes we do it with grace. Makeup. Yes, you do. And we don't complain. See, and that's awesome. So, David, what do you see, you know, with the future coming with all these new products, all these new things out there? What do you is there anything that's standing out that you see in the future with homes? of where we're going that's different from where we've been. Well, see, that it depends on how historic you want to get on that. Um, I just think that these connected houses, these smart houses, that, that Velux skylight that you brought up is like such a great yep. example of we now have such inexpensive little IC computers that can sense yeah. water, carbon monoxide, heat, um, you and I were talking recently about uh, building in fire zones and yep. the fire was it the firewall or the fire umbrella system that you were talking about. Yeah, There's a whole new system that's coming out. Uh, that's not released yet. That's in testing. That's coming around the corner that can build a dome around things. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and, and what's great is I'm thinking to myself, gee, okay. Uh, I guess it's going to have heat sensors because that makes sense. A fire is like 400 or more degrees. And even on the hottest day with metal getting really hot, it's not going to be. And then you're telling me that's not how it works. It works based on, you know, sensing CO2 in the air because of all of the the emissions that come Combustion. from a burning yeah. fire. And I'm thinking the, the that sensing, was smart. Oh. I'm the sensing systems are where it's at. I mean, 100%. Every conference I've gone to, it's all about whatever we can sense. Eric will tell you about Sensi, which is just telling you about your electrical usage, you know, how to be energy efficient. Then we've got the sensors for carbon monoxide. Yeah, we've got the sensors for volatile organics. We've got the sensors for telling you if you're in a fire zone. I mean, this is where they're pushing the industry and then, of course, mm-hmm. making it all one system, whether it's a Nest or we talked about Ecobee and basically making this a smart house. And that's what they're really you know, pushing. And so if you've got a really big house, like a house that's 
you know, 10,000 square feet, maybe 100,000 square feet, I find it very challenging that you're going to be able to do these types of systems effectively. So I think the size of the house is going to decrease only because if you're going to go to a smart home for energy efficiency and everything else, they're going to try to push a smaller home. That's my opinion. And well, it's the people that have enough money for 10 to 100,000 square Mm -hmm. foot house, they're going to want a 10 to 100,000 square foot house and we'll just treat it like a series of villages. Okay. The master bedroom suite is one village that has its own system. The kitchen and dining has its own village and has its own system. I think, I think that to me, the problem with trying to predict the future is, and this now dovetails to what I was saying before with flippers, they want everything as cheap and streamlined as possible. And they're, and they probably have a lot of money behind them and they're going to push for uh, ways to keep that from happening. Um, while then you have people like us that care very deeply about not just the comfort and the aesthetics, but the safety of our clients. And, you know, a, a smart home is not inexpensive. A green home no. is not inexpensive. They're all, they're all not as simple and easy to pay for as a conventional. It, let's not also forget we've got a lot of workers that have years and decades of experience in conventional methods. And so this whole new, um, you know, uh, aesthetic uh, of, of making it all uh, computerized is, I think, the way of the future. But just the fact that my Android phone and your Apple phone won't talk to each other very well, there's mm-hmm. got to mm-hmm. be a way to bridge that because that's a huge problem. And I think that's the problem that the houses have. Do you get a Google home? Do you get an Apple home? Yes, Do right. you get a Nest home? And they're all proprietary. See, David, they've right. been talking, expanded, the industry has yeah. been talking about this for years. They've been talking about getting everybody so they can all communicate equally out there. But I'm sorry, I don't see in my lifetime where Google is gonna turn around and make Apple and let yeah. those things talk to each other equally. I, I just don't see the industry doing that. I mean, that's like that's like making the the Chevrolet talk to the Ford and talk to the Dodge. Right. I just, right. These people are not going to go play around that nicely together. I'm sorry, they're just not. Uh, and, th- and then that's it makes it what's, con- like so convoluted for the buyer. Like the person right. doesn't know what to get. You know, and, the and homeowner it, relies on people like us. And that and that's sorry. what makes it hard to predict because a lot of what will happen. Who would have guessed? Three years ago, we'd have a pandemic and it would change our attitude on where we live and how we live. But we did, and it changes everything. I mean, I, my, I was just talking to someone about a car, and um, they were talking about buying a car. And I said, I think you should really seriously stay away from an internal combustion engine if you're going to buy a brand new car starting next year because it looks like the industry is going to go away from that and towards electrical and so you might as well get set up now because your internal combustion car might be worth less in six years. Because and see, it's I dinosaur. disagree, and I disagree with that. And here's why I disagree with it. For instance, when we had our heat wave, we we were gonna have rolling blackouts because our electrical grid couldn't handle everyone's um, everyone's AC running at the same time. Sure. If you go throw on every house, another 30 amps of car charging on that, our grid is not anywhere near capable of taking that many electric cars. 
And I honestly think it's going to take the electrical industry as a whole another decade to get their arms around putting that much yeah. power into neighborhoods so you can charge those cars. I, I, except I, you're absolutely right. I completely agree. And I agree with your timetable. Unless all of us get solar charging with batteries at our houses to then create our own little power stations. But see, I can't put solar in my house and my community as a whole, because we have so many trees, hmm. 75% of our community here can't have solar because we've got complete tree cover over the top. Mm-hmm. I can't I get a satellite dish here because of the trees. Yep. I can't get satellite because of trees either. So mm-hmm. solar does really well in your area, Eastern Washington, Eastern Oregon, in the deserts there to do really well in my area here now up in Portland, you know, 20 minutes North of me, there's, it's more neighborhoody and they don't have the, mm-hmm. the tree protections that we have here. I'm very much in the forest. So I think there, there's going to have to be a balance there, but I, even, even with that, I think we're going to have some issues. It's going to take a while to get to that point where we can actually be able to charge that many cars. Well, a lot of what we're talking about is going to take a while. And a lot of people are making their best guess. When Elon Musk started Tesla, everybody said, oh, pshaw, this will never be anything. And I believe the value of Tesla with just three cars on the market is triple that of Ford right now. Yeah. So yeah, he, so. he, he made a good guess and he made a good enough – because there, the I, I actually like the um, – um, Fisker car better when it came out at the same time as the oh, gorgeous. Uh, Tesla, but didn't have a good enough leader. Didn't have, I, I guess maybe he had his own backup system and there had some money of his own just in case, but he mm-hmm. made that work and he did a great job with that. And yeah, I wish, I wish other cars were like that. I also wish it was easier to get an old, like an old Mercedes Benz 280 SL get rid of that it's i mean it's got a huge hood okay yeah of course it's really heavy but get rid of that internal combustion engine and take that space and put in an electric drive and batteries and you're going to see into- more of that because uh i saw holly you know the uh automotive company just announced they were coming out with a uh a retrofit kit with batteries and electric motors to do that to classic cars cool i i, I think i think there's mm. a, a future because think about it though like like a a 1960 something 280 SL um, there's it built like a tank, but we're talking about mm-hmm. now. Um, let's see. Uh, it's like a 50, 60 year old car. There's no way yeah. that it's going to run well. So if you can take that and then turn it into something like that, I think, uh, I think fun. you have something yeah. interesting. Maybe that's the future of, of housing as well is some kind of retrofit brain unit that, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's important for people in my community to get more solar power. So that way your community can then take more off the grid because we're taking less from it until we can yeah. fix this in another 10, 15 years. I haven't Absolutely. looked closely no, at I- the, uh, uh, the infrastructure bill that they're trying to get passed, but I would assume that there's quite a bit of that because that bridge that you were talking about in the earthquake, that probably needs some kind of repair. The dams need repair. The door, the the roads need repair. 
we could really use to upgrade a lot of things that would make life better for all of us, including enough electricity and think about all the jobs there are and do something like that. No How about cryptocurrency? We're going to be affected by that. We just started. To, my company's taking cryptocurrency now. Dogecoin. Wow. If you like Elon, what do you think about the Dogecoin? I have to say I bought into it. It's a, think, it it started off as a so joke. His Tesla. I know. It, it's yeah. so, it's so start, it, that thing started as a joke to make fun of all the people that were investing in Bitcoin. But so many people invested <laughs> in Doge. It's now becoming yeah. as... Uh, look, I, I, do, I think that cryptocurrency is the future. Um, I... It, it just... After going out with all of the women that say they're one thing and they're something completely different, I don't trust somebody that says that I can trust them just because they say it. You're, I'm, you're probably very smart and I'm very stupid for you investing in me, not investing in Doge. My son invests in Doge, has made quite a bit of money, but I just, it just, I'm, I guess I'm just an old fuddy duddy who likes it in brick and mortar. Yeah, I, I don't like the energy it uses. I don't like the energy it uses. It's shocking when you see how that works and how much power it takes to mine that. But as a CEO of a company, and I am one, we have to take it now. I mean, I had to invest in being able to take it. And what's interesting is how we play that, right? So if we sell a test kit, if we sell this, that market's fluctuating. I mean, we could lose $100 yeah. overnight on a kit. But yeah. I wonder as a professional and having a business, David, like, you know, what is that going to be for us in the future? Like, are you going to get paid if somebody come to you and say, hey, David, I'm paying you in Dogecoin. Build this this pet mansion for me. But it's wild, you know. It, it is. I, 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 I'll, I guess I'll have to wait <laughs> until that happens. Um, <laughs> you know what? Here's the thing. It's would I? I, I, pro I probably would, but I might charge more. Yeah. As yeah. that as I my cushion, I, I, yep. I don't Emergency. know preparedness. Well, you just <laughs> asked me a question that I have never been asked and never even thought about fathoming. That's I, this is going to keep me awake for days <laughs> thinking about that question. That's a good one. The rabbit and, hole. And I, and, but there's no answer. You know, when Elon Musk is so excited about Dogecoin, is he excited because he bought? $200 million worth of it. And by saying what he's saying, its value goes up because everybody else is buying it. And that's all he wanted was for the value to go up and then sell half of it. I don't think or that's does he true really though. Like, I, think, I think he believes in it. Like he believed in yeah. Tesla. I mean, look how many people were against him. I mean, he was on the, and, and with any great entrepreneur, I don't care what you're selling or creating, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a business, whether it's architect, you are always going to be on that fringe. And I think he feels the same way about Dogecoin. And I think you have in Los Angeles a clientele that you could easily be presented with this. You could get somebody who's got a lot of money and says, David, I'm going to pay you in Dogecoin. You know I'm going to get a call about I, this in the next week. And I'm going to have to call you and say, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> because of this podcast. This? <laughs> so, that is awesome. Well, David, I've got one more question here for you. And we are running a little bit out of time because, man, uh, we've been cranking through the, on this. Yeah. But Speaking of decks, let's yeah. talk about your deck on this house because that's a that's a situation that's different than many other people are running into out there. Yeah. Is that you have the ability to build a deck out there or to work on it, but it's got to be fire rated. Yeah, see, I'm I've got a weird shaped house that's, or I should say, I have a weird shaped lot, and so I'm too close to the property line in a fire zone. 
And so if I want to have the decks that I want to have, um, 30% of those decks are in the setback and the fire department will not let me build a deck unless it's fireproof. And by the way, I have a dozen of my Bel Air clients. It's Hillside. The insurance companies don't want to cover houses on the hillsides in a fire zone. And that's what Bel Air is. So they sure. basically they tried to get out of insuring in California, but they couldn't. So they're saying, okay, we'll insure you, but we're get, we will drop you unless you. And you, I've had to replace every single deck from wood to, and I guess I'm going to do a plug, but you know, I'm, I'm using a timber tech has a line of composite decks that are class A rated. And that's what I was going to ask. What constitutes a fire safe deck, David? So what would that be? Well, it's the material. For all the laymen, because people don't. Trex. Trex is composite plastic, but it burns. This has Yeah, that's class C. Yeah. 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 And so this has materials in the mix that are non-combustible. I don't, uh, it's got some ash in it. It's got some polymers that burn at like a thousand degrees, not 400 degrees. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what's great is I've always been a fan because they're gorgeous. They are, I've never liked certain other, I don't want to disparage any companies. I haven't liked a lot of the composite decks because it looks like you know, T111, like fake pressed wood. And sure. it, it's, but man, these ones from Temper Tech, they come in all these different, I'm, I'm doing a fire uh, roof, a, a rooftop deck in Beverly Hills in the fire zone. And it's got to be class A. So I'm using Temper Tech there. And I'm, I'm that, so I'm going to basically have to build with, um, you know, a, a fire retardant class a underlayment for my skirt okay mm-hmm. and then my top has to be that and i'm also gonna have to build it with heavy timber uh because that's fire retardant so i'm having to do not your typical deck but you know i you know when you talk about things that are you know trends we're starting to see more specialty items like decks that are class a because there is a huge need. I've become really good friends with the guy at TimberTech uh, for getting his latest information on classifying it as a class A. Because every building department is like, what do you mean it's class A? And you can't just say it. You have to prove it with the UL number or some kind of test. And um, mm-hmm. I, I just, I'm, I'm just, I'm really lucky because it's a gorgeous deck and it's class A. So it's a win-win. Yeah, and you know, you think about a wood deck. That's that's a class C, considered a class C. And how they how they figure that is about it's a it's a basically a flame spread test is what it is that keeps it. Mm-hmm. So you think about how flame spreads across a piece of wood, the composites mm-hmm. it spreads similarly to be a class C. And only Timber Tech is the only one that I'm aware of that has that class A rating. So that makes it so it doesn't have the flame yeah. spread. I, I have for to say, that safety. I I don't even shop anymore for deck materials. I go straight to TimberTech because mm-hmm. they're now it's not all of their decks, but their vintage series is yeah. all class A and it comes in a dark brown, it comes in a weathered gray, it comes in a light brown, and I think it comes in about eleven or twelve different colors and shades. 
And there's something that works with all of them. And it's easy to work with. You can cut it like wood. You can nail it like wood. It's got its own fastening system. So you can do whichever works best. But I, for, I mean, I used to like them just because they were pretty. And so when I, when I was told that uh, my, proje- my project that I'd done a decade and a half ago in Bel Air um, needed a new deck to replace the wood, I immediately went to TimberTech and started looking to see what its rating was. And lo and behold, there it was. And I haven't found it. I spent maybe four or five years looking. I couldn't find another. So I don't have time to waste. I just go straight there and pick the color. And like, David, could I do that in the Northeast too? Like, so I'm looking to do a deck, right? On a project. So I was looking at doing the steel under layman instead of doing wood, just doing the metal right. foundation. Well, that's also, and then that's put the other timber way to go tech right over it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then I, I could I, do the timber tech right over. See, now you're not going, you may not remember this. Maybe I told Vinny, not you, but um, I actually recommended that deck mostly because it doesn't get as hot when you're walking on it as wood does. I mean, it is, I, you when I me, say that, yeah, it's, about when you find one material like this that's gorgeous, easy to walk on, doesn't splinter, doesn't need any upkeep, and it's fireproof, that means I can put my brain power into something else. (laughs) Yep. It's a good product, yeah. Very simple. You know, David, we've gone well past the hour. uh, I hate this. Can we just talk for the next week? Yeah, we could do that. (laughs) Okay. Is there anything else that you wanted to say, brother? Anything else you wanted to add to this conversation? Your website. They need your website, how people can contact you. How can we find you? My, Where my can pizza we find is yeah. cold, but I like cold pizza. You know, it's funny you should say <laughs> that. My website is right now under construction, and you won't find diddly. Um, uh, I am so detail-oriented. Uh, the people that host my website, and I love them. They're so sweet. They bought up a company that built websites, so I said, I'll just be loyal let me use you. The guy and I just couldn't see eye to eye. I would say, can you move this a little bit to the left? Can you? He's like, I've had it with you. So the president of the company <laughs> is doing my website, but he, he spends like four hours every three days on it. And that's it. So I've been down for a while, but it's davidapplebaum.com. Um, pretty simple. Mm-hmm. You can just, you know, go on Google. Find him on Around whatever. the House Nation. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i like facebook look, well instagram people- dave is on instagram so you can yep. find him and look he's got miraculous marvelous pictures of all his architecture so yeah and, what is it david you're what's your it's david applebaum architect but i also have a little side mm-hmm. one called live where you love love where you live that's my trademark um yep which which you know on the personal one every now and then when my son one of his films comes out i'll i'll share that one but the livery love is nothing but, you know, my projects or things that really inspire me. Um, like, you know, like actually the both of you. I mean, I've uh, if I have a question about construction that I don't quite have the answer, I always call Eric. Eric is so on top of all the latest and greatest. And that is so helpful to me. And, you know, every time I have a question about health or some kind of mysterious, I don't know what's going on in the house. Even if it has nothing to do with mold, I talked to Caroline because she is, it's never, it, 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 nothing is ever settled with her. There's always something else. You know, what about this? What about that? So when you have smart and curious people in your circle, it really makes your life a lot easier. 
Plus, we get to eat pizza. Exactly. Pizza. <laughs> pizza. David Applebaum, my friend. Thanks for coming on the show today. Oh, uh, I, I can, I, I. Every time I listen to your podcast, it's like, when can I go back on? I love you too, so much. I respect you as professionals, we love and you I too. know what we kind of you humans too. you are, and you and your families, and your just the way the ethics in your work, people. You know, if you want any really important advice on living your best life in your home, surround yourself with people like this. This is what makes your life worthwhile, fun, deep, and meaningful. And there's so much to be grateful for. And we should all work on that as much as we can. And with that, I'm Eric G. And I'm Caroline B. You've been listening to Around Around the the House. Anywhere beyond the mean Life is a love song, let's be lovers We're all over the radio Take my hand, I know where to go All over the radio with you Hey, it's Eric G. from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand-molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out Millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's Millboard.com.